to hang out with cool people on at bars. So we decided to start a podcast where we can actually do that and imitate that here. So yeah, that's that's what we did. Well, you're speaking my language because I was never cool enough to go to a bar, uh, hang out at bars anyway. I wish, so. I wish everyone could do that because it's such a cool experience. Because at that, you know, at the place, or you're having a drink, and it's it's a very chill time, and then people tend to share their stories, and um, and often they would give the best of them to you, which to yeah. me is 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 more valuable than than anything. That's a really acute observation. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I think those days are kind of, well, if not, they're not over. They're they're definitely wobbling because um, people hang out in all sorts of other ways or don't hang out. You know, they they spend much more time at home and bars in the states and in the in pop culture in in England is, right. is still good. Yeah. yeah, but in the states, it's usually kind of you know sports bars and um, it's not really. People do talk. People are very friendly, um, mm. but it's. I'm. You know what? It's me. <laughs> I don't go to bars. Sure. I don't talk. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Do you remember 2016? A good time back then. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> so something like that. But Dan, please uh, go on. Start yeah. the show officially. All now. right. Welcome to yeah, another. Sure. Epi- welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're thrilled to be joined by an actor, Alexander Sadig which of course is your stage name because what is your full name? Because I tried. My with, full name is huge. And yeah. I tried I have, reading it on Wikipedia earlier. I'm like, Oh, it's, it's just a list of men, you know, it's yeah. not like they're all, they weren't all given to you by parents. <laughs> so it's just a patriarchal lineage. Um, and if you weren't um, like, well-known or, or accomplished enough you didn't make it on the list so there are right. lots of names of really cool people who just didn't make it on that list i wonder if i'm making it on the list <laughs> actually i kind of I've, I've kind of broken the tradition because uh I, i've called my my son a non-muslim name and he's 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 he's, he's out of it out right but, uh, i'm i'm very much in it so it, I, I, as far as i can remember and i will get this wrong because i i have got it wrong in the past it's sadig El Tahir, who's my father, El Fadil, my grandfather, El Sadiq, El Abdurrahman, El Abdul Karim, uh, and then it goes, it goes on, and it either ends with either El Sharif or El Mahdi, depending on what day of the week it is. So, how, so how did you settle on Alexander Sadiq? Um, good question. I, I, I was racking my brains, and there, and there are two correct answers one is my first best friend was called alex and he was a golden retriever and he was my uncle's dog and he named his dog after alex in a clockwork orange and then it just occurred to me as a kind of as a, a sort of mesopotamian name uh that had a ring of islam to it because it's al Alexander. Mm. Uh, and uh, but it's pre-Islam, and I really like the idea of being uh, having a pre-Islamic but still sort of you know Oriental to quote Edward Said's uh, name, um, which is now one of the most popular names in the world, even though it's very much from the o- old Orient. Right. Yeah. How does it feel like to have all that? 
ancestor history attached to your legal name um oh. all the time it's it's a weird question because I, I what i really want to know is that do you did you ever in your life felt the burden of it not not the burden because it has a negative connotation but did you ever felt the weight of it no um it's it's a, certainly a very illustrious name uh right. it it, it belonged i mean the the the, the mahdi himself was right. a, a serious kind of leader in sudan and is very much revered his memory is very much revered and um and i'm apparently you know i'm i'm sort of i'm, I'm in that direct lineage and um so our family up until right up until 1969 when there was a revolution um and the military took over uh first time um the the mahdi family held the reins of the Sudan and in fact my my uncle my dear recently deceased uncle died three years ago um was the first democratically elected prime minister of the Sudan and then he got elected again so he and and I think that's the last democratic and the only democratic election ever held in Sudan um and we all sort of wait holding our breath that uh, there's another one soon and it doesn't look very likely looking at the horrors that are happening over there um but it's it's a beautiful family uh for a part of a beautiful people um who have sort of begun i mean you know 1969 was the end of democracy most most people in that country don't even remember it don't even had never met democracy and uh, never met that kind of freedom and the british for all their ills, I'm half British, so I'm kind of conflicted. So I'm the colonizer and the colonized uh, in me. Um, but the British, for all their evil, um, did build some fine universities and uh, put a structure in place for decent education. So they were incredibly well educated, the Sudanese, back in the 60s and the 50s. Um, a lot like my father went on to Cambridge or Oxford um and goodness how life has changed <laughs> you know it's been it's been it's a very complicated history with england very complicated history with africa it's a gateway it's a country that sold slaves it was a mm-hmm. market town market country so it has a very awkward relationship with africa and a very awkward relationship because of the sort of very recent history of islam um with Saudi Arabia which is its neighbor across the sea um and today I think it's still only one of three proper Sharia governments and uh, jurisdictions in the world the other being Saudi Arabia and Iran uh so it's 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 a land that that lives on a very fine line lives on a very pointy fence not very comfortable um so i've all, all my life i've been identifying as african right. uh, because i didn't want the baggage of of saudi arabia uh, what started off as a sufist country ended up being a sunni country and for muslims they'll know there's a pretty big difference between those two mm-hmm. um one allows music and theater and all the things that i celebrate and and mysticism and the other is depending on whose version of Sunnism you're listening to is pretty strict. Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> it's, 
Go no, on. Yeah, now you go. So how did you, how was, can I ask, where did you grow up? I grew up for the first three and a half years in the Sudan. Right. And then I was bundled out of the country uh, uh, when the revolution happened um, and sent to England to go and see my mum, who was already out of the country. And I do not know why she was out of the country. Um, I didn't know whether there was a breakdown in my the marriage between my mum and dad. There was eventually. Um, but I wasn't, I was, my mum was one of those people who just didn't talk about those things to me. Right. Um, one day she just said oh we're divorced and then one day two three years later she said how would you like it if i married this guy and i was like <laughs> fine on both fronts it didn't bother me either way i was just happy to be her around her so when does when does the love for theater kick in when when love for us uh sufism kick in <laughs> Sufism. I'm, I'm I'm a very poor Muslim. I have to say, I'm not I'm not one a, a, a devout Muslim. I'm a, I'm a very lapsed Muslim. Um, it, it kicked in about when I was about 15, 14 or fifteen. I got given a, well, it actually kicked in a couple of years before that because of um, a really beautiful English teacher I had, a super strict, very scary, uh, called John Binfield, and he instilled in us as a class a love for language um and he couldn't he loved to hear himself um so he would read and read to us uh which was great because it was like an early book on tape for us it was a great class when you go and you go he's going to read fantastic so i can do whatever i want um but then he kind of questioned you um and he would read all sorts of stuff um and uh I particularly I think some of the Shakespeare's and uh and he it just broke it just broke through to me even at that age at 15 when you really Shakespeare is like inconceivably weird and complicated um he made it really easy so he then directed me in a play Midsummer Night's Dream um and I played Puck and um everybody's opinion of me changed uh, I was this guy who was like I guess it's the P word. I mean, I'm going to say it because I've been called it all my life. Packy. Mm, yeah. Not allowed to say it. And, and it's like the N word, which I won't say. Yeah. But it, it's, um, I was called that all the time. And even though I was like screeching, going, I'm from Northeast Africa. <laughs> you have no idea about your geography. Pakistan is another place altogether. And um, anyway, that's what I was called. So it that stopped like literally overnight um because when these kids all saw this play um something happened i don't know god shuffled his feet i guess what what did that do to your mindset when people started looking at you in a different way it relaxed me yeah. but it didn't change me very much i still was very much a loner i only had one ever had one or two friends at most during school and I would spend all my time with them I wasn't someone who needed to bask in in the the adulation or the the, the safety of numbers of friends I um I would just hang out with this guy called Buzz from South Africa and uh we just sort of so he would he was he, he was a graphic young graphic designer and wanted to be a graphic designer and he was totally obsessed with the uh, the little teeny graphics that used to come in Playboy magazine. 
they're 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 quite weird and and probably sort of a collector's item. But they they had these little graphic bullet points at the top of their articles. They had they had like grown up articles in Playboy magazine. Right. That of course went completely over my head, and I was like, "Ha ha, yeah, that's kind of interesting." <laughs> Turn the page. That's more much more interesting. <laughs> Um, so I, I was, but he, that was his thing. And I would just hang out and listen to some music, I guess. I liked a band called Genesis, who are so uncool. It's not funny. And you probably won't even have heard of them. And it was basically where Phil Collins started. Um, and there was a guy called Peter Gabriel, um, who was the lead singer when I first kind of found Genesis. And there were this peculiar band that sang in things that I did not understand at all. But the music was great um, because I listened to only classical music at home. So it was it was it was great to listen to those sort of things. And I, I listened to a bit of early U2 and stuff like that, too. As well. it, did your confidence um, start to shift during that time? No, I yeah. wasn't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. It wasn't that. It wasn't that big a change in everyone's yeah. attitude. Just stop calling me Packy quite as often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kind of made just treated me like everybody else. They weren't interested in me particularly. Um, so I just ducked a few bullets, but I didn't escape the battle. Mm. Um, so I, I that I didn't get any actual confidence until I was probably 40, 35. That sort of thing. Really? Why why do you think it took that long to gain that confidence? I don't know. I think I was just not really engaged. I'd been so disengaged for most of my life, uh, for obvious reasons I've just touched on. It's the seventies being a kid and the very racist culture. You just you could just just you know avoid it by just hiding so i i disengaged um even police would stop me you know i'd get stopped by police my car engine number would be checked with god knows who and then they would call my mom and you know it's all so it was, I, it, I would get stopped on the street and searched outside of a station um and this is way before 9-11 so there was it was it was quite a full-time occupation being not white in Britain. Yeah. So it was it, it, you just try to avoid it because it was a pain in the ass. It was a hassle. Um and I, I think acting gave me a a place to to go and experiment, be a bit more sociable, um, and try on personalities and right. um you know, all the things that you really should be doing as a young child um when you using your parents as bouncing boards and and horrifying them uh, because that's safe place um so and my mum was brilliant at that she would let me do you know any horrible argument that i had i could i could get that out of the way with my mother or my stepfather so i didn't really have to make an ass of myself in public um, which I do now happily because I'm nearly sixty. God damn it! Uh, but it was it, it, I, it wasn't until I did a movie called Syriana um, back in the early two thousands that I really just went. I, I suppose I can act. I suppose I'm okay at it. And it just took that to, yeah. to change 
change my mind, to shift my opinion of myself on that thing. It's just um, surprising to me because, I mean, as outsiders, you're looking into, you know, actors on a TV show that seemingly have it all, you know, they're successful, they're going to conventions, what have you. But then really behind the scenes, they're thinking, oh, well, I'm no good at this mm. until much later on, because that movie that you just mentioned was way after you, you know, finished um, work I'd on done that every, I'd done TV a whole show that we won't mention. Yeah. I'd done a whole bunch of stuff by then. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's, it's like, um, I don't know. It, 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 I just didn't, I, I'm, for example, I'll tell you something that a lot of people will have, will, will have, will understand, will have in common with in that I, had so, so no courage to ask a girl out. That was just not my thing. I just just didn't have it. And when I did, all that I emitted was a lack of confidence, which was really unattractive. And so I don't think I ever got a girl because I asked her out. So I ended up just waiting for girls to ask me out because in the 90s, there was this great shift in the 80s and girls were like asking men out. So, you know, all the people I ended up with, apart from my now wife, um who i had the courage to ask out um asked me out so i was just bouncing from one terrible relationship to another because it wasn't really inspired by me yeah uh, so those are that's i think a lot of people can can understand that um that's that's the degree of lack of confidence um and i needed to get out of that rut and it wasn't until that film i don't i'm not worried about publicizing it because it's just not it's, yeah, it's done. Yeah, it's not going to benefit from this. But it it was it was it. Some people wrote nice things about what I was doing, and that just made me put a skip in my step step and and made me go, well, cool. Because the stuff I'd done before that, the the the, the big show that we shall not mention because yeah. there's an actor strike and we're not allowed yeah. to mention during an actor strike. Yeah, the stuff I'd done before that, um was really uncool at the time in the 90s uh, and people who liked that that kind of stuff were considered uncool you know nerds and um geeks they were the uncoolest people um so they were kind of what today you know they, they the benign version of today's incels um in the sense that the incels are kind of reviled as like what's wrong with you and um it's not until just recently, really, the last 10, 15 years, um, 10 years, that that show has become huge. And not only that, but people who like that show are have a have enormous amounts of confidence about saying they like that show and um, are not looked on, looked down upon. So it was difficult to get out of, in a weird way, it was difficult mm. to merge as an actor after that. Yeah. Uh, because nobody wanted to work with a, an actor from that show it had such a it, it it was loved by a whole bunch of people yeah it was so, considered so declasse uh that they didn't want to they didn't want to associate with those actors and a lot of actors from that show have had trouble over the years because of that um and it's only recently as there's been this kind of resurgence so there's a bunch of them now on tv there's a hundred you know that thing has spawned up you know, like a pigs yeah. <laughs> everywhere those shows um but all the big you know sci-fi shows have, have done that they've all got like 50 different versions of themselves now 
I mean, let me ask you this. You said something about um, when people were writing good things about what you were doing, your work. Um, and something I ask this question to often to the guests uh, that something Nietzsche said reminds me that every man is an actor of his own ideal. So when you said that people were writing good things about your work, did did you ever feel weirded out? Like, why are people saying good things about me? Because, you know. Well, you know, to be honest, um, I really liked that approval. And oh. that was that was something having done a show where nobody took any notice that show i think we were nominated once for best ensemble um most diverse cast most diverse cast which is a kind of it's like a sort of runner-up present it's not really well yes we're diverse it's great but why i didn't even know there was an award for that <laughs> there was there was an award for that and we got that award um uh, so the the actual quality of of the work that we were doing, which is incredibly high quality, um, given that we were doing you know a couple of dozen shows a year, uh, every year, um, and we would literally finish a show every seven days, working days, and next there was just no that was no getting off that 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 escalator, and it it. It, but the quality of the work was never discussed, um, except by the community um, who have been faithful and loyal for 35, 55 years now, um, and still are faithful and loyal. There are less people who appreciate art. (laughs) 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 How did you deal with, um, I guess, that frustration um, during that period after after the show finished? I think it was, I mean, it wasn't a year until before my agent um, who happened to know Martin Campbell as a friend, the director Martin Campbell of, you know, James Bond fame and, very, and lots of other great TV as well uh, in England. Uh, she managed to persuade him to hire me in a film. Not a big part, but a serious amount of money, weirdly, um, which kind of saved me because I hadn't, and I didn't know where I was going to earn my next buck. Um, And that very slowly started the ball rolling. And then I got another film because my agent pulled the favor. Um, brilliant, brilliant lady called Pippa Markham, who's no longer with the agency, but she's like one of the most famous British agents of all time. Famous for her her, her eccentricity and her rigor, um, and she could she'll shatter you, you know. And um, and she turned up once. I was in New Zealand filming the second film, the one, and she was like, "Hello, darling, I'm here." And I'm like, "Oh, hi." Uh, thank goodness there's a second bedroom um, but she, she's she was very very so she dressed a bit like Cindy Lauper do you remember that Cindy Lauper oh, in the early yeah. days yeah you could that's that's where Pip was that was that was her kind of her fashion um, kind of post-punk and that trickle became a current after 9-11 which happened pretty soon after that uh, because everybody was scrabbling around for 
um, Arab Muslim representation. Um, and there were many established actors at that time, apart from Omar Sharif and a couple of others who, of my age, um, who were in the in the business because especially in Islam, you know, there ain't there ain't many actors unless you live mm -hmm. in America. Or, um, Egypt, they've got a bunch, and Turkey, but the, it's not. It's they, they look. It's a second class profession, yeah. um, and it's um it's so that that kind of kicked everything off. Um, and I got and I got on got on the back of the horse. Did did that ever? Did any of those jobs sort of feel like, well, am I getting these jobs based on my own merit or am I actually getting these jobs because, well, everyone is now all of a sudden after this specific type of, of actor? I think it's really smart not to think that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whether you're, even if you're, your father owns a newspaper, you know, and mm. you end up working newspaper it's smart not to worry about that it's yes. the best thing you is prove everybody wrong or just do the best do a great job so i think you you know you famously you, you have to run twice as fast um and but I, I was a kind of on a mission i had a bit of a mission you know I, I i was seeing cnn i was seeing the news and it was just screaming arabs everywhere mm. screaming and wailing with their dead children in their arms or shouting Allahu Akbar and cutting off someone's head. The, the, the imagery coming out of the Middle East um, was just terrible. Uh, and it there was no good side. There was not, mm. not one good side to it. Um, there are plenty of great Arab scholars um, and um, they were writing furiously to, to, to try and sort of stem this tide of, of of the, the the image that was being projected, so I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to show a different side, a different kind of guy, um, and the fact that I had been uh, in the sci-fi business for seven years meant that I was kind of welcome into people's houses, which is the beauty of fame. Yeah. Um, and once you get into that, in, once you're in the house, then you can you can let you show them what you got and. Um, so I was really lucky not to play terrorist after terrorist after terrorist, which a lot of my colleagues did, had to. Um, I got to play, you know, princes or ambivalent, uh, ambiguous characters. Um, and that gave me a chance to to, to show you uh, the, the humanity of the Arab world and, and of Muslims and... That was just so important to me at that time. And thankfully now, I, I think ever, there's so many great young Arabic Muslim actors that it's it's not a, a thing for me. And I'm just a familiar face now, you know, yeah. a regularist. Yeah, I think that requires lots, a lot of courage to make that decision that no, I'm going to change the way Muslims are perceived on mainstream media. I'm going to try. <laughs> did you did you consciously make that decision in your head sit down yes and... it was really important it was really important and mainly because of the imagery i was seeing i said i, I thought to myself i can do something different here i can show a, a, a really nuanced character that isn't just yelling and um you know angry or 
distraught you know it's either despair or anger they're the only two sides to to, to muslims we saw right you know. absolutely yeah and occasionally we'd see very shady arab leaders who um just don't know how to read a room arab leaders the worldwide still don't know how to read a room they come off so badly they look terrible all of them um they really need some i you know lessons in charisma <laughs> but because they're so powerful they don't need charisma you know you need charisma in democracies yeah. when you're an absolute monarch you can be as jerky as you want an idiot you can mumble because no one everyone's going to go i love you so much because you're a leader a blessed leader um it's such a delusion it, you're someone who would have dealt with a lot of different personalities working on various sets with different actors how do you deal with um, conflicting personalities are you someone who handles conflict well I think so. Um, I don't. I don't like getting angry. Um, it's has. I, it triggers a weird impulse in me to weep. <laughs> I don't know why. All my life, you know, if I practice being even practice being angry, um, raising my voice and all that malarkey, I will start to kind of have to stop myself weeping. It's like a kid. Mm. But um, when other people are angry, I'm not phased. Um, I used to actually kind of try and arbitrate fights at school. Uh, and I I was like, I was so self-righteously morally superior to everybody, I thought. That I would, you know, if if someone said something to one of the girls, for example, I would say something about it, say that's not okay. And it's amazing when you do that, even to the most, you know, school, it's very predatory. Yeah. And probably still is. And it's all based on physique and popularity. And it's amazing that the, the nastiest individual at school is so taken aback by that, that they don't actually come and punch you in the face. <laughs> I actually got a girlfriend because of that, Francesco, my second girlfriend. I stopped a, some something happening in the dinner in the dinner queue. And um from that moment on, she she we would we were an item. So it it was really handy, but I'm lucky I didn't get punched in the face, frankly. I think that's very interesting because it, as I just mentioned, it takes lots of courage to say no in your head first and then actually say it out loud. When you said that if someone says something wrong to a girl, I would step up and say, no, that's wrong. And as you yeah. said that, no, I'm going to portray, try to portray, um, you know, Muslims in a different image. So I think that's, that's, that makes you, um, it does actually make you morally superior. And oh, I, I mean, I think you, I think it's really the way you say no, isn't it? I mean, I try and teach young, young, I teach, I'm, I'm not teaching. I, I, I taught when I taught to young Muslims, um, it's, I was talking to one of several over the COVID period and they not just muslims but a lot of different minorities a lot of people who have trouble you know appearing normal in society mm. um about microaggressions oh, and that's a really interesting topic to me because microaggressions are something we all should have been trained in all of us 
um, as, as children, because we are microaggressed uh, all the time as kids, regardless of what color, race, anything. There's always something, you know, um, you've got big ears or a flat nose or, a, you know, red hair, whatever. And we deal with it. And we we figure out how to compartmentalize. But society right now is going through a really sensitive patch where microaggressions are making people upset. Um, you know, there there are there are worse things um, than someone mistakenly, you know, saying, "Well, where are you from?" And that's meant to be a microaggression. Mm. Uh, and it, some people are upset by that. But that is the small stuff you shouldn't sweat. There are much bigger problems to have that you can, and and then you have, then you can say no, when you're mm. not just. Be, if you say no to all of those things, then you just sound like a whiny bitch, you know, and you really don't want to come off that way. You want to be as gentle as possible, and and you know as firm as possible. And if you could pipe up once in a while, people listen. But if you're always like, oh my god, you didn't say the right name for me or whatever the fashion is. By the way, names are changing all the time. Um, how we refer to each other and various people in, in society. So I, I, I just think all of those things. Huh. We got. Yeah, let's have a conversation instead. Try and tell me why you think the world is the way the way it is, and let's talk about that. And how how can you teach me um, to understand better way what the world looks like from your point of view? Because, I mean, the the whole trans argument, for example. I do talk a lot, by the way, so just interrupt. No, no, please. The whole trans argument, for example, was kind of interesting because I'm pretty liberal. Um, mm. I'm weirdly right-wing about some things and I'm pretty liberal about other things. So I find elections really difficult because I I don't like either side <laughs> nearly every time. Uh, I wish I could just sort of cherry pick and fuse politicians together. And it's like, but I didn't, it took me a very long time to understand the he, him, like I put on my name, if you can see mm -hmm. it on the screen. Um, and the they, them, I just, I kept tripping up. I kept messing it up. I just couldn't do it. And people were upset at first, but they learned and I learned at the same time, they learned to be relaxed about it. And I learned to say it more often because it was just wrong. Yeah, I've been, I've, you know, 45 years of my life of, of learning English grammar. I couldn't use the third person pronoun to, for a first person issue. And I'm, I'm just beginning to get the hang of it. So it, the, there's a lot of learning, but it can't happen unless you talk. So just the anger thing just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you think you're someone who spirals into overthinking things oh, i'm sure i do um yeah. much less now uh, I, it's not i wouldn't say it's a flaw of mine um i probably the opposite i yeah. probably just i skip along the surface uh much more often than i let i don't let myself dive into areas that especially areas that might be dark yeah right um <clears throat> It's funny that you mentioned about your teacher when you were young. This is way back we started the podcast. Um, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, I was young a long time ago. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. So 
my point being is that it's funny that we can't remember, you know, who won Olympic, who won gold medals in Olympic or who was the, you know, next best thing. But it's funny that we remember that teacher who touched us when we were young. We remember their names. Yeah. Um, who were those people um, that touched you or you look up to or were your role models back then or even now? Well, I had a very strong sense of fantasy uh, right. when I was young. So I, I made people up. Um, and that came out of the fact that, I mean, setting my English teacher aside, lovely though that was, I often used characters in novels. Um, I was obsessed with uh, Chaucer, The Knight's Tale, which the English teacher introduced to me, um, one of the Canterbury Tales. And it was all about honor and chivalry and two people who were fighting over the two brothers fighting over the pity of uh, a, a young lady, Emily, I believe her name is. Um, and I was just just really astonished by this this whole chivalry code that they had developed in, in the medieval times and how they treated each other and and what they you know what they did so that was a, a big role model for me weirdly that those characters um and and the kind of honor sense of honor and and chivalry and all that mm -hmm. stuff um also i was obsessed with the pilgrim's progress weirdly as i didn't i didn't know i was muslim so i was fed christianity so that was a I, I loved all of that, that that kind of fabulous tales, those fabulous tales, allegorical tales. Um, I had a father who I didn't know, um, so I made him up too. And, you know, like, coloured him in um, and imbued him with characteristics I wanted him to have in his, in his absence. And he was a great father then. Um, so all those things, I mean, that's the equipment that kids have. You know, they they it, it's not all doom and gloom if you if you a sadly lose your father or you're absent, your father is absent in your life, because you can make them up. Right. <laughs> you are free to do that. You know, you're allowed. You are in control of your relationships with creatures great and small. Um, so in a weird way, I would do that a lot and I, I so i would live in in books and characters and and, and all of all of the creations that the creative people made um which is what their job is so i just i'm just a good customer you know uh, uh you as a writer and you as a photographer yeah. are creating food for people to nourishing them um and hopefully you you know every time you take a photo or write a word you know everything you know about everything goes into that word or that yeah. photograph um and that's what generosity is i, I suppose in art so I, i'm i'm drawn to generous artists um and i'm drawn and i i need, i know how valuable they are because they've guided me as uh, they have been the most influential and um, i say things like you know jimmy james stewart an actor from the 50s and 60s and 40s who was really influential because his style was lovely uh, for me. Um, and I borrow a lot of James Stewart when I act. Um, but most of the stuff I generated myself with the help of 
artists who I'd never met. It's it's fascinating to me that we we three of three of us are sort of feeds in the same pod that we've gone through a similar experience of, um, as you said, um, was it was it Dostoevsky who said our beauty will save the world? Oh, I'm sure I, I <laughs> that you got. Yeah. Hey Google, wait a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. <laughs> Oh. Uh, do you, anyways, have, do no, you have a thought? I, I did, I did, but I I'm, I apologize. I lost I had a, such an amazing question, but I just lost it. Sorry. <laughs> Keats, Keats, the, the poet, um, John Keats, uh the British poet, uh, was obsessed with beauty. Right. Um, and a lot of those romantic romantics were obsessed with it. He wrote that. Be beauty is truth and truth is beauty that is all you know on earth and all you need to know i'm not sure that's entirely true but that obsession with beauty is very much a, a late romantic obsession and or a, a romantic one from the late 18th early 19th all the way through to the 20th century um and you can hear it in music of the time like Mahler and, and wagner my goodness and you know the whether that's just the ones on in in Europe, but they ever that was the we're kind of in a sort of post romantic period now where right. we're what we're binge watching TV and we're having a hedonistic experience, you know, with things that just couldn't have happened years ago, very few years ago. So um, I, I qualify that as a, a form of romance, a sort of a form of escape. Um, but you're right, yes beauty is very important but it's really important for it not to be dictated and for people to find it at least i had a, had a great acting teacher once called colin cook who thought i was a terrible actor but that doesn't matter <laughs> he used to say uh sid um you placed that performance i want you to find it Wow. So beauty is very similar to that. You don't place beauty, you find it. Something Salvador Dali said, um, he was talking about sort of hallucinations and that first 15 minutes before you fell asleep, it's that forced thought. And I was like, huh? Because at the earlier, I wanted to ask you about authenticity because Salvador Dali's story is very interesting to me. He used to, when he was young, he used to throw himself off the stairs just to cause himself pain. He he was causing himself pain. And then he divorced his wife, uh, ended up marrying this woman, um, bought, him, bought her a castle. And he used to write letters to her uh, asking permission to see her. And I believe that if Salvador Dali wasn't 100% himself, we would have seen the world would have seen less of it. So yeah. my question to you was that: What about authenticity? As a as a, as an actor, you play so many roles. Did you ever struggle with the with the fact that what who I am like? What is who I am like? You know, am I authentic? Yeah. Am I being authentic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, authenticity is a big political thing right now. I mean, in the in 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 the art world, it, it's a right. uh, it, you 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 know you you must be gay to play a gay you must be disabled oh. to play a disabled person you must be 
all of these things. And I'm going to say something contentious. I, I think it's just absolute bullshit. I mean, what what is happening is this dis- wheeling back to this discussion of placed and found. It's someone else is deciding what everybody should think of as authentic. Whereas the relationship between an artist and his or her or their audience or the reader is a personal one. It's like the relationship with God. When the minute other people tell you who God is, religion gets into a lot of trouble. When you have your own relationship with God, religion is kind of great. So it it the authenticity is is a, a falsehood, a fallacy. That what is authentic? It means absolutely nothing. You mm-hmm. can't just say, well, he's from Sudan, therefore he's an authentic Sudanese person. That's mm-hmm. absolutely not true. There's a, a ton of inauthentic Sudanese in Sudan who were born there, brought up there. And what people are doing in the acting business, which annoys me, especially when they're saying, well, it should have been a, a gay person playing the gay thing, or should have been a black person playing the black thing. The audience will decide what is convincing. Right. If they don't buy you're not going to do it. And what you're really doing is shooting a, shooting an own goal. Um, mm-hmm. Because that means as a gay guy, you're never going to be able to play a straight guy. Or as a trans person, you're never going to be able to play a, a non-trans person. And that is going to make their world smaller and smaller and smaller. It's antithetical to acting and it's antithetical to art. You know, uh, if a gay person uh, uh, admires a, a work of art on the wall, a work of fine art, it doesn't matter what what, what the sexual orientation of the artist is. <laughs> the person, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 the argument about authenticity, I find to be a construct that is going nowhere. It's a, mm. a, an invent, a modern political correct invention that is, it's up to people in their interpersonal lives and relationships, or as in my case, my relationship with the public, to be convincing. And that is it. Mm. End of story. Yeah. The only authentic is this was painted by Picasso. That's mm-hmm. authentic. That's fine. I'm that that's okay with me. But everything else doesn't make any sense. Interesting topic you touched on. And I think I've asked one of our guests this question. What is your relationship with God like? Mm. It's a tricky one. Um I think I was I was about as devout and you know sticker placing God loves you guitar kumbaya singing Christian when I was about 15. Right. Um I didn't know anything else. I mean that's I was in a Christian school and there was this kid called Mike Wallace. I thought he was great and um we hung out and he was at Christian Union meetings. So I went to Christian Union meetings and religion as it is told to children, as it is explained to children is incredibly attractive. Mm. They hear only the love, they hear only the beauty. And as they grow older and learn more, they realize that, wait a minute, yeah. God wasn't so nice before Christ came along. What happened? Uh, you know, he would, cover people in boils or he would have a bet with the devil just to see what the, what kind of how much how many punishments job could take that's basically the movie trading places <laughs> uh so you've got a, a kind of 
a naive understanding of religion is really beautiful. And uh, as you grow older and learn a bit more about life, it becomes very complex to square that circle. And you know that all the, the beautiful love thy brother and all that stuff, that the Beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount, those things, however beautiful, are not don't appear to be the the mo for most of the clergy and don't appear to be the mo for televangelists in america here with you know that all the amazing evangelicals who who voted for trump don't appear to be particularly holy to me um so i i have obviously can't can't tolerate mass religion i just think it's mm. pure control method a method of control and uh, the more personal people can get with God, the more likely they are to find faith and to they should talk about it as little as possible, frankly. Do you, do you think you've got to the stage of your life where you can say, okay, I've got my life figured out? Or do you think one can truly ever have their life figured out? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even think, you know, the, the billionaires have their lives figured out. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny, isn't it? The more money you make, the more miserable you appear to become unless you're sort of Warren Buffett. Um, so, no, I definitely don't have my life figured out. I don't even know where the next, you know, I'm on strike. I don't, yeah. know, what, I don't know what we're arguing about right now. I do, but I, I don't know why we're not fixing the problem. Um, so my life is absolutely not figure i don't know where where i'm going to earn my next coin yeah uh, so no I, there are things about my life that i have figured out you know i've learned that the kind of relationship i like for example is one in which i am allowed to be myself um and th and that's okay mm. uh so that's, I think, a really important because I spent my whole life striving to be someone that I thought my lover would like, <laughs> which was a really bad idea. Um, and it's required a huge amount of energy. Um, so only pretty recently, actually, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see if this works. I'm just going to do me, um, you know, with all my warts and everything else. And it's very relaxing when you can just be you. Yeah. Um, stop climbing a goddamn ladder uh, to, to uh, your ego ladder to be the person you think you could be for your <laughs> lover your significant other it's just nonsense <clears throat> so the areas of my life that kind of beginning to get a bow wrap around them mm. um, but that could get derailed anytime um, yeah, look we're, right now for those people listening to this you know we a, a war kicked off nearly two years ago in Ukraine because Russia just inexplicably invaded it. N and nearly three weeks ago, a war has kicked yeah. off in the Middle East because Israel has in re retaliated for a really brutal act of terrorism in, in, their, in their country. But now they're killing way more people than they should. So it's that's kind of spiraling out of control. Um, they boasted yesterday that They've killed 12 Hamas officers. And I'm like, oh, and 7,000 other people. Mm -hmm. They killed 24 journalists. 
Mm. So then a, a guy was in a went to a bowling alley two days ago yeah. and then to a, a pub and shot 18 people dead. So the world is yeah. just it it will not allow me to relax whether I want to or not. If if I think I've got my shit together, believe me, the world's going to say, ah, yeah. no. Do you, do you get um, sick with worry in between jobs as well? Sometimes. Um, it depends how much I have saved. So um, <laughs> I find it very hard to save because uh, the, the more money I earn, the more responsibilities I take on, which I think is perfectly correct. But I... I like to keep like six months just there. Yeah. Um, we get to the end of the six months um, where I can keep everything ticking along as it is without starting to pull back, say, you know, no, you can't have that anymore. I'm sorry. I can't pay you that anymore. I'm sorry. Um, then I will start to worry because that's obviously that would panic anybody. I mean, money is the most stressful thing in the world. And um, it's the, it's the kind of, it's the one thing we all have in common. It's when you when you have no no or little money, you feel sick inside. Yeah, you you can't. You know how are you going to manage this? Um, people kill themselves because mm -hmm. they they can't their finances. And the, so, I'm very aware that it's it, that I'm, I, I that I have to be frugal. And yeah, chill out. You know, and not do the other thing that I would really wanted to do or buy the the shiny thing that I really needed. You, you, you strike me as someone who can always see the light at the end of the tunnel, regardless of what's happening around you. Yes, I would yeah. say that's true. Yeah. What well, What's one of the biggest lessons you've, you've learned from your experiences in life? I don't think anyone ever had a, terrible time or was terribly disappointed by life if one of their fundamentals was to love people and i would say i mean i used to say as a kid actually um when i finally realized that the version of god that i thought existed didn't exist that god is everybody else so you can't really go wrong deifying everybody um sure god's going to disappoint you from time to time <laughs> but as long as you can keep that the positivity the fact the charge that everybody is really beautiful really extraordinary um you will not be disappointed you will have a much easier time of it yeah is so those are the words you live by from I your day to day so. as well yeah, yeah. absolutely what? I mean, people transgress. You know, there are assholes. I mean, that's uh, there are politicians, for example. But um, I, the love has to be there. The, the 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 love of the idea of humanity is really important to me. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap up in a in a second. Um, I just want to thank you for for doing this today. It's been wonderful. I hope what we try and aim to do is try and ask guests questions they probably wouldn't ordinarily get asked asked You've on done a really podcasts. good job yeah really yeah. good job yeah. because you know we know people like yourself have done many other different 
podcasts um, or relating to, you know, that genre that we won't, um, that TV show <laughs> that we won't mention. <laughs> the, the, the TV show we won't mention. So um, I hope we've given you something a bit different today. Thank you. Um, yeah, you be great. You've been terrific. Um, so we'll end with this question. This is a question that Harmon likes asking too. If you could go back and give your younger self advice, what advice would you give? Or what would you tell your younger self? <clears throat> I suppose um, not to worry so much about your the way you appear to be to other people. Um, and it would have fallen on deaf ears, I know, because I was always worried about that. So I I, I, I would have tried. God knows my mother tried, you know. Um, so don't try and please everybody all the time. Um, so that would probably be the, the good advice. It would have taken me through my 20s at least without too many mishaps. Is there something in your life you wish you had done differently in your younger days? Oh, God, yes. But I couldn't possibly tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Hundreds, hundreds of things. (laughs) Sid, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this.